How's everybody? Get a good lunch? Boy, after lunch is usually nappy time, man. Oh, yeah. And if you were run short on sleep last night, it might be tough to stay with me through this lesson. <laughs> but I'm going to do my best to try and stay alert and make sense, and you maybe can try to help me out a little bit. I've been given the topic, Advancing the Kingdom with Grit. And i got to tell you, when I started this topic, started looking at this lesson, I thought it would end up going in one direction, and it actually went in a different direction than what I thought it would. My first thought about it would be that we'd be talking a lot about humility. Because what I've come to believe is that without humility, you don't have grit. In fact, uh, if you've ever baked anything, it seems like you always got to have flour, right? Cake, bread, whatever, it all starts with flour. Humility, to me, I think is like the flour in Christianity. It's not a cake if it doesn't have flour. It's not Christianity without humility. So I thought this lesson was going to take me there. But I was looking at the verses that kind of came to play, and it kind of took me in a different direction. One of the first things I think I've got to talk about a little bit, the idea of the kingdom is not completely clear to me. I've been studying it for like four years, and I've been talking about it a lot, and I've got to tell you, there's still some things I just don't understand about the kingdom. And if we're going to talk about how to advance the kingdom with grit, it seems like it would help us to know a little bit about the kingdom. Absolutely. Well, like I said, there's just limits as to how much I understand. But this much seems pretty clear from what I've studied and looked at so far. The kingdom is God's realm. It's the place where He's in charge. Well... That gives me a problem with the title of this lesson. <laughs> because we're talking, the title of the lesson is Advancing the Kingdom with Grit. Who does that sound like it is that's going to advance the kingdom? Uh, Us. But if God is the one who's in charge, it's His. So who does the advancing of His kingdom? He does. He does. But, you know, He's like any commander in chief, right? And we're the foot soldiers. Anybody here been in the military? Were you ever surrounded with somebody that you wouldn't necessarily want to be on the front line of a war with? Yes. (laughs) I was never in... Not all foot soldiers are the guys that you want to be coupled with in a real firefight. I was never a, a soldier. I was a police officer. And there were some guys I knew I couldn't count on in a fight. If I was going to a bar fight, the name Lone Ranger, sort of, you know, and Custer, and those kind of names came in, because I was going to be on my own. And there was another guy, his name was Ron, and Ron and I worked together like we were mentally connected, and he was a gritty guy. Paul was telling me the story last night of, you know, what time whenever he was in the military, he, of course, was a, was a Marine, and then he went into the, uh, into the Army, the Reserve, and he was telling me the story about how they were giving him a hard time because he used to be a Marine, so they called him names. They had affectionate names that they gave him. And uh, one day he was particularly tasked with being with a live missile launcher. And so when they called in the order to aim this thing, he got a little cutesy and took the long way around and then stopped whenever he was aimed at the guys that were giving him. <laughs> and then played ignorant. Oh, yeah, that's right. I should have turned it the other way and came back. Foot soldiers, you know, if we're going to be the kind of guys that God uses to advance his kingdom, we're going to have to have this thing we're talking about with grit. And I think the Bible does tell us some things about this. We do have to understand who's the commander-in-chief. 
do you really want to be used of God? You have to deal with that when it's sorted out. Central to this question is who do you really think God is? Is it you? If you're here thinking that God is here to work for you, you have the wrong kingdom in mind. I've come to be very passionate about this idea that I'm here to work for Him. Not the other way around. Does God bless me? (laughs) He's a benevolent master. He treats me far better than I deserve. But He also has the right to grind me. To let me suffer for the sake of His kingdom. Uh, I could lose it all tonight. And the real thing about grit is do we have the courage to really give it all away? Because that's what we're called to be. If we're going to be men of grit that God will use to advance His kingdom, we've got to be the kind of guys that would give it all away. Well, I hope to, to bring that into focus with you. Now, advancing the kingdom, I found a couple of verses that I think maybe set the stage for us about this, about what it means to be in an advancing kingdom and being the kind of person that God would use. The first one I found is in Matthew 11, verse 12. It is a controversial verse. I'm going to use the old 1984 version of the NIV. I'm not going to try to tell you why it's so controversial. But a lot of the new translations, and maybe some of them that you're going to look at today, are going to read very differently than what I'm going to tell you it says. The old NIV says, From the days of John John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. That sounds like actually a very positive statement. A lot of the newer translations make it sound like a very negative statement. Why do I think the old NIV had it right? Well, a lot of verses have what they call a parallel verse. Another verse that's kind of saying the same thing that says it a little differently. If you would, look over at Luke 16, but keep a finger in Matthew 11. Look at Luke 16, verse 16. Verse 16, Luke 16, 16. There it says, The law and the prophets were until John. Sounding familiar? Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is pressing into it. I think these verses are talking about the same thing. But they use different words. And I think there's some things we can get and understand by comparing the two of them. The question that we want to come at it with is, according to these two verses, how is God advancing His kingdom? How is he doing that? Well, if you look at Matthew 11:12, it says there that the kingdom has been forcefully advancing. Where Luke 16:16 16, 16 says the kingdom has been preached. I think there's a connection between preaching and forcefully advancing. The other thing is, is Matthew 11:12 says that it's forceful men that lay hold of it. Where Luke 16:16 16, 16 says they press into it. I think forceful men are men who press into the kingdom. Forceful men who lay hold of the kingdom are the kind of men who press into the kingdom. And I think there's some definitions we need to look at, but I think what he's talking about there is men of grit. Men who are forceful. Now, usually when I think of a forceful guy, I think of somebody who pushes. I don't think that's what this word is getting at. I'll get to that in a second. When I look at these two verses together like that, I think what we find is that God advances his kingdom through... If you're taking notes, these would be the two things I'd have you write down. He advances his kingdom through the right kind of people who do the right kind of preaching. 
the right kind of people who do the right kind of preaching. Now you look at it and decide for yourself. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. You can look at this and make up your own mind, but I think that's what I get from these two. So, how can we, let's start with the easier of the two. How can we do the right kind of preaching? Is what I'm doing here preaching? Yeah, but is that the kind of preaching that that verse is talking about? Well, the word that they use there is the Greek word euangelizio. I probably actually pronounced that wrong. Euangelizo. It doesn't matter. None of us speak Greek. But if the word sounds familiar, the word for gospel is euangelion. So this is a derivative of it. And what it means is literally to bring the good news. To evangelize. See, sometimes we think that preaching is all done from a pulpit. That's not the idea of the kind of preaching that advances the kingdom of God. Does it play a part? I mean, yeah, I think that there's some usefulness to what we're doing. We wouldn't be doing it. But the kind of men that God uses to advance the kingdom of God are not just the men who stand up here and prepare a lecture or a sermon, but it's the kind of people that willingly take the good news to other people and to evangelize them. Preaching is telling people you meet that Jesus is king and telling why that's good news. Is that what you do? Do you tell people that you meet that Jesus is king and can you tell them why that's actually good news? If you can't, you might want to get a little bit more grit in you. You need to find out what it is first and then be able to tell other people. Evangelism, by the way, isn't just inviting people to check out our church. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I think it's about inviting people to check out our God. Mm-hmm. That's right. Do you preach? You should. But the question is, is do you and will you? And do you, what's on your face when you talk about God and His kingdom? Is it a smile? Is it excitement? Or is it pessimism? And are you sending mixed messages? If it's good news, you should talk about it like it's good news. Okay, so now the second part of this is how can we be the right kind of people? If the kingdom of God, if God advances his kingdom through the right kind of people doing the right kind of preaching, we just talked about the preaching, here's where the balance of this lesson comes in. How can we be the right kind of people? That's where we're going to talk about grit. Answer number one to this, there's going to be two answers. The first answer is found there in Matthew 11:12. We have to be forceful men. Well, some of us have come by that kind of naturally. You know, I've been described as a forceful kind of guy. But I don't think I was always described as forceful, meaning what we're looking at here. The word forceful in the Greek is the word biastes. It's actually a unique word that's used here in Matthew 11. It's the only place in the scripture where that word ever appears. And what it means, and this is really important to get, that word means it's one who's forceful in eager pursuit. That's different than being just a forceful guy. See, a forceful guy would be pushy, domineering. But this kind of forceful guy, the kind that God uses to advance his kingdom, is forceful with himself in the way that he eagerly pursues the kingdom. You catching that? These are the kind of people with grit. So let's look at maybe a couple of examples here. Do you think the apostles were forceful men? Yeah, they were. Did God use them to advance his kingdom? Certainly. 
I want to take you back to Acts 5 for a second and set up a scenario here. If you go back around, say, verse 19, you'll find out that the apostles had been put in jail. An angel had actually broken them out of the jail. If you recall, when they found that they were gone, the doors were still locked, but the apostles were out. So then the angel that breaks them out tells them to go back out and start preaching. The reason they were arrested was for preaching. So he says, I want you to go back out and preach. Where? The most public place possible. I mean, if you are in trouble with the law and you want to keep doing things, you kind of hide, right? Not these guys. They go to the most public place possible. They go back to the temple and they start preaching again. And you can read all about this. You know what happened? They got arrested again. They got arrested again. They got brought into the trial. You know, they brought, got brought into the Sanhedrin. So this is like facing the Supreme Court. And there they get threatened never to preach again. And you know what they did? They started preaching right there. Peter starts preaching the gospel about Jesus as they're telling him, we're going to kill you if you do this. Is that forceful? Is that gritty? Yeah, absolutely. And let's pick up the reading here about verse 40. Acts 5, 40 through 42. It says there, they took his advice, and they're talking about Gamaliel, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. This flogging thing was not an easy deal. This had a lot of social ramifications because if you got beaten, flogged, it was an embarrassing thing. It says, so they went on their way from the presence of the council. What was their attitude? Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Are you like that? Are you like that? Have you ever been shamed for being a Christian? A lot of us have. I'd say probably most of us had. How did it make you feel? The apostles were these forceful guys. They were eagerly trying to lay hold of the kingdom of God, and whenever they got beaten for doing it, it was kind of a validation that maybe we were on to something. And they felt good about it. They were rejoicing about it, that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for the Lord's name. I met a man back in 2012 who was from Nepal. His name was Dilly. And Dilly was like the sixth generation of Hindu priests. His uh, family were all these Hindu priests. His dad was a, a high-standing priest in the Hindu faith. He was like the sixth or seventh male child in his family, and his father had said, you're going to be the biggest priest of all of us. So from birth, he had been selected to take over not only his father's position, but higher than his father, to be a real big wheel in Hinduism. But he went to South Korea and nobody would accept him in South Korea he went there for some sort of work except for Christians I think some forceful Christians who were gritty they accepted him and you know what he became a Christian now I'm sitting and talking to him and he's telling me about what it was like to go from being a Hindu priest with all this heir apparent stuff wrapped around him and then become a Christian and then go back to his family his dad ordered him to be killed or to repent three times and so he explained to me and told me what it was like to have a death squad come after him and beat him within an inch of his life 
only to let up at the last second and still give him the chance to, to come back to Hinduism. And on the third time, he thought they took him down to a lake. And he said, I don't hold it against you guys. I don't think you really understand what you're doing, but I'm, I'm okay with dying for Jesus. They said, well, take your last breath because this is it. He said, they held me under the water. He said, I didn't really even struggle. I was just trying to hold my breath as long as I could. He said, after a minute or two, they let go. And I thought, well, they're going to hit me with something. And he, you know, he floated to the top. He opened his eyes, and they were walking away. The thing was, and he's, he's now actually an elder in the church in Nepal. And the church there is growing and spreading. And they're not trying to kill him anymore. But as he's telling me this story, his eyes are dancing. And he's saying, it's, Jesus has done everything for me. He's done everything for me that I could suffer for him just to give back a little of what he's done for me. Oh, it's worth everything. I was blown away. I had someone, I'm handing out a Bible talk card a few years ago. I'm going through the drive-thru in Alton, and someone throws it back in my face, and I'm feeling like, oh, man. <laughs> and my, and my, daughter's, my daughter was just a little girl, and she's silent until we make it about a block away, and she goes, well, how embarrassing was that? <laughs> That's not how I feel about these, these days. I've got a neighbor who really does not like me, borderline hates me, based on my faith. Actually, it doesn't upset me the way that it used to because God is changing me. I think he's making me into more of a gritty guy. This is the example that the apostles had. Picking back up in verse 42, this is how they responded to the public beating and the shaming that went on for, for Jesus' sake and for preaching. It says, And every day, not some days, but every days, in the temple, the most public spot you could be in, in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Are these forceful guys? Oh, yeah. And they were used by God to change the whole world. I think they had that grit that we're talking about. They were publicly beaten and shamed and they saw it as an honor. And they preached every day. They would not back down. And they did it in the most public places and in people's homes. Remember, this idea of preaching isn't necessarily the way that we do it up here. It's taking the good news to people. I envision it this way. They were excited to tell who Jesus was and what he was doing. And to announce that a new king was in charge. And that he was invading. And that the old order was passing away. And something new and exciting was coming. And they were glad to tell people what that was about. My question is, is, are you like that? Do you want to see the kingdom advance? Do you really want to see God in charge? Do you preach? Do you do it forcefully? And you know what? It wasn't just the apostles. Because the ones they preached to acted the same way. Check it out in Acts 8, verses 1 through 4. It says there, And on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Sounds like they're backing down because they're running, right? They did. They ran. Except for the apostles stayed there and got beat, many of them. But Paul, verse 3 says, but Saul, I should say, began to destroy the church. Saul later became one of these forceful men. He became one of the apostles. But at this point, he was zealous for trying to stop it. 
And he was going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered, get this, preached the word wherever they went. Same word. Galizio. They took the good news with them. See, if they were running in fear and backing down, let's just, let's just put it this way. If you got ran out of town for, for something, do you think when you started over you'd do it again? Publicly? If you were running away, you would. If you were backing down, that wasn't what was happening. They put themselves at risk everywhere they went. They, they told the same news. There's a new sheriff. There's a new king. And he's invading. And he's conquering more and more territory. And it's good when he's in charge. And I like it. And you will too. Why don't you come check out my king? Why don't you come check out my God? So how can we, coming back to this question, how can we be the right kind of people? And here's the second answer to that. And it's back in Luke 16, 16. We have to be men who press into the kingdom. Not only do we have to be forceful, but we have to be men who press into the kingdom. This Greek word for press is the word biazo, and it means to press earnestly forward, to rush. This is the Christian lifestyle, to keep pressing deeper and deeper into God's control. For God to take more and more of our hearts, more and more of our lives, more and more of our loyalty. To press into it. And not to do it in a procrastinating way, but to do it in a rush. How much of a hurry is there in you to see God have more control of you? Do you have areas that you hold out? What about your thought life? This is where a lot of my fighting occurs. It's not what I do outside, but there's a battle raging sometimes with what kind of attitude I'm going to have. Am I going to think about the people who attack me the way that Jesus wants me to think about them or the way I want to think about them? How am I going to think about that beautiful woman who's advertising that she would be fun to sleep with? Am I going to think about her the way that Jesus thinks about her or the way I want to think about her? There are sins that sometimes we're not in a hurry to repent of. That is not pressing in to the kingdom. That's procrastinating. Men with grit don't procrastinate, they press. I want to show you a verse here that I never understood until recently. It's in Mark 8, chapter 15. Jesus uses a warning here that he doesn't use very often. He says, be careful. And it's a unique warning. Beware. Be on your guard. He doesn't say this but a handful of times throughout the scriptures. And he rarely accompanies it whenever he talks about yeast. He only talks about beware the yeast three different times. And here's one of them. He says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, which we know is hypocrisy. We're told that in Luke. And that of Herod. What is the yeast of Herod? First of all, you know what yeast is, right? Yeast is the active ingredient that you put into dough that makes it puff up. Right? You can't see it happening. You can see the dough swell, but you can't see the yeast actually working. It only takes a little bit of yeast and it multiplies like crazy and it will take over the whole lump. Jesus talks about yeast in positive ways. He compares the kingdom of God to the yeast. But here he's warning. He says, be careful, be on your guard. Don't let it slip up on you. The yeast of Herod. What in the world is the yeast of Herod? 
Well, this is only my guess because we're nowhere told in Scripture. This is my math. You make up your own mind whether I'm right or not. But Herod, he got in trouble with John the Baptist. You remember he took his brother's wife and John called him out on it. So that was getting him very unpopular, politics being politics, first century here now. He grabs up his critic and puts him in jail. But it says there that he liked to talk to John. So the picture is, is that while Herod's got John in prison in the basement, he's going down there all the time to talk to John. What do you think John's telling him about? Was John a forceful man? Was John a man who was pressing into the kingdom? Did John preach? I think he was probably telling him the good news. Why do you think Herod kept coming back? Because it's good news. But he procrastinated. You know how the story ends? He throws a big political banquet. His daughter, or somebody's daughter, Salome or something like that, does some kind of a hoochie-coochie dance, gets him all turned on, and he shoots off his mouth, I'll give half my kingdom to you if you want it. And she asks for John the Baptist's head on a platter. He was put in a corner. He had to kill John the Baptist. If Herod ever surrendered to the king, it's not recorded in the scripture. Procrastination will take over your life like yeast takes over a lump of dough. You don't even see it moving. It's a silent killer. And it is the opposite of pressing into the kingdom. And I've been there. We negotiate and think, I'll be better later. I'll repent of this one later. I don't have to be that serious about this now. That's the east of Herod, guys. And it's not the kind of guy that you want to be sitting next to on the front lines in a battle. That's not the guy you want covering your back. It's not the kind of guy that God uses to advance his kingdom. So I come back to the question again. Do you really want to see God in charge? Do you want to see him in charge and to see his rule and his reign established in your family, in your life, in your neighborhood, in your country? in your church or are you more about I just want God to give me what I like because that's the other alternative religion that we have in this country and we call it Christianity it's the whole felt needs crowd about God will give me this if I do that then God will give me that I think that there's a lot of problems with that and I don't think that that's what's going to advance kingdom of God I think it's being sold out and pressing into the kingdom of God and not procrastinating. That's how God will advance his kingdom. So how do we press into the kingdom? Good question, right? Probably lots of different verses we can go to, but I want to show you this one in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 9. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Peter says there, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Now what he's just described here is what I call a walk. Have you ever noticed how often the Christian life is called a walk? See, a walk is unique in that it's one intentional step after another. The first one is faith, then there's goodness, then there's knowledge, and on and on it goes, and it becomes a journey. 
And the journey is to pressing into the kingdom of God. He tells us to do this. And he makes this statement in verses 8 through 9. He says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... It's important to keep this in mind. This is not something where, okay, I've got faith, now I'm good. I can go on. I think actually when you get to love, it produces more faith and you start adding again. This is about adding. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what are we supposed to be effective and productive in? I think allowing God to use us to advance His kingdom. So I think what's at stake here is will we be the kind of men who press deeper into the kingdom by being serious about what the apostle commands here? I think this is what he had to do. I think he walked this walk. Was Peter a forceful guy? Yeah. Did God use him to advance his kingdom? Yeah, we're still talking about him and learning from him. 2,000 years later, I think God used him pretty powerfully and effective. He says in verse 9, But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. I think part of being a person of grit, the kind of guy that God uses, is keeping God's mercy in full view. And see, sometimes I think what happens is we die to our old selves in baptism... And we're so aware of how bad we've been and how much we've been forgiven of at that point. And we feel this great release of burden. And then we go on from there and we forget. We forget what we've been forgiven of. We forget, after a while, what it was like to live in the other kingdom. I've been a Christian 36 years now. I was was just telling Mike this morning on the ride up, sometimes I don't realize how weird I really am to the world around me. Because they smell it on me. You ever smell crazy on someone? (laughs) I think they can smell Christian on someone. I had one of my neighbors that came to me and says, everybody says that you and your wife are the coolest people on this block. I would have never thought that that would have been a word that would have been attached to me and my wife. And he says, there's some good people on this block, but you're Jesus. And I was like, hey, hold on now. <laughs> That's a little serious. He says, no, no, no. He says, what I mean by that is there's some good people here, but there's something different about you. My wife says she can just see Jesus on your face when you're walking. I don't know what to make of that, but I know that there are people that I've seen that I can smell Jesus on them. And that's the kind of people that we need to be. That's the kind of people that the apostles were. It's the kind of person that Peter was. And he's telling us about how to be like that. Because if we're serious about wanting God to have his kingdom advance, and we want to be a part of that, we've got to press into his kingdom. And to press into his kingdom, we've got to have a walk. And that walk is one intentional step after another, adding and adding and adding. And frankly, guys... It's about never being satisfied with where you are. It's about having a holy discontent to say, I have not yet reached perfection, but that that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. I may never become perfect, but I'm not going to surrender the, the goal of trying to get there. If it's all about me and how good I can be, I'd give that goal up pretty darn quick. But have you ever been so in love that it was all about the girl? Did you ever want to stop? Do you love God like that? Where it's all about Him? 
If you love God like that, you'll never be satisfied with where you are. You'll keep taking the next step and adding and adding, and you'll be the kind of guy that God uses to advance His kingdom. By the way, do you have any problem when you're in love like that with talking about that girl? <laughs> Everybody else gets sick of hearing you because you glow and you're walking two foot above the ground in love with her. Isn't that how we should be? Mm-hmm. I think if you're not there, you just haven't seen Him yet. You haven't seen how good God really is. He's incredible. I feel like, you know those old dial-up modems? You remember those? You know, they whistle, and, and you'd hit a picture, and some of you younger guys don't remember this at all, but I remember going and getting a cup of coffee to come back to see if the picture had you know, pixelated enough where I could make it out. And it, as it slowly resolved, oh, I think it's a face. <laughs> right? Now it's just instant. I feel like this is what's happening for me as I come to, to find out who Jesus is. As I'm trying to press into the kingdom, I see the, a face forming. Mm. Not that I've seen him clearly yet. Oh, but what I'm getting a glimpse of. I've been a Christian 36 years. I'm more excited about Jesus today than I was 36 years ago. Amen. People talk about me being pumpy and being uh, bubbly, happy most of the time. It's because I see him materializing. I want to get closer. And I want to see him more. And I hope you do too. Because looking back over our shoulders at where we've been, it's a horrible thing. But it's not nearly as much of a motivation for me as it is to look where we're going. We can be a part of that. We've been invited to be a part of God himself. So much I could say about that, but I've got to keep moving. The Apostle Paul. We want to look at him as our last example. I think the Apostle Paul is probably one of the grittiest guys we got in the Bible. At least we know quite a bit about him. At least in the New Testament, he was probably the rooster Cogburn of the New Testament. <laughs> Cogburn. You didn't watch the movie. Guy is relentless, isn't he? He's relentless as a Pharisee when God got a hold of him. He became a forceful man that took the message of the kingdom everywhere he went and he pressed into it. He pressed into it. Look at Philippians 3, verses 10 through 14. Because there, that's where Paul talks about this grit. At least I think it's where he's talking about this grit. He says some things here. This first paragraph, I think Paul talks about his desire. And the second paragraph, I think he talks about the result of that desire. I think there's some things we can learn from it and imitate from it. Starting in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so, somehow, to attain the resurrection from the dead. In verse 12, he says, Not that I've already attained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold. There's our two things from Matthew and, and from Luke. Pressing in and being forcefully taking hold, eager. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But this is Paul. I mean, he's done some crazy cool stuff. 
And this is his attitude. He says, I don't think I've taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Man, I hope that you will take some time with this passage and kind of think about what each one of these statements mean. To be brief, I'm going to try to just kind of cover them just a little bit. If you look at that first paragraph, Paul said he wanted to know some things. The first thing is he wanted to know Christ. Do you really want to know Christ? Now, you think about this for a second. How many of you know him versus how many of you just know about him? There's a difference. I know about some of your wives, but I know mine. And you could say the same thing. Do you want to know him? Paul wanted to know him. And it motivated him. You know, he spent three nights out in the Mediterranean floating. And it was part of pressing in. He got snake bit. He got rocked to sleep with big rocks a couple of different times. He got chased out of town. He didn't get to have a wife. He wanted to know Christ. Nothing was going to hold him back. Do you want to know Jesus that way? Do you want to know him that bad? Because some of you guys have a hard time spending even ten minutes in his word looking for him. You do much better when you're looking in his word to find all his rules. But you don't do a real good job of looking in his word to find him. Do you want to know him? Paul did. He said he also wanted to know the power of his resurrection. What is the power of his resurrection? It's more than a historical fact. Right. If God can raise Jesus back from the dead, what else can He bring back to life? Can He bring back your dead marriage? Your dead relationship with a son or a daughter? The brother or sister? A parent? Can He bring back all the things that you've killed through your sin and that former kingdom that you lived in? That's His business. Paul wanted to see resurrection in his own life. You guys have experienced some of that resurrection, haven't you? Think about those things. Don't you want to see more? Don't you want to see that kind of power in your life? Do you have the grit to press in? To forcefully pursue it? To eagerly lay hold of it? Is that the walk that you're walking? Now get this. Those first two are pretty enticing, but check this one out. He wants to know the fellowship of sharing in Jesus' sufferings. Paul shows no distinction in his excitement between wanting to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and wanting to know what it's like to share fellowship in his sufferings. Are you guys looking forward to suffering? I, this is hard. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus was made perfect through his suffering. If Jesus was made perfect through his suffering, the sinless Son of God was made perfect through his suffering, how do you think you're going to be made perfect? Anybody ever here go on a, on a diet or workout to impress a young woman? <laughs> you buy better clothes, you clean up, the, you wash up the truck and go all silly? You know, you, you, want to, you want to make a good impression. Do you want to know Christ like that? Do you want to be made perfect to be in his presence? Are you excited about sharing in the suffering? Remember, we looked at the apostles when they got beat up and put to shame publicly for naming him as their new king. They rejoiced. Same attitude. 
way before Paul came on the scene. This is a hallmark of what it means to be the kind of Christian that has grit, the kind that God uses to advance His kingdom. Suffering is about things going wrong, guys. Sometimes suffering is about things going right. And if he's king and you don't think of yourself as a king with a genie that serves you, if you think of him as king and you serving him, suffering doesn't turn you off. And this other one, he says, he wanted to know what it was like to become like Jesus in his death. What does that mean? Well, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend. Jesus poured out his life. He gave it all away. We don't have as much to give away as he did. Paul wanted to know what it was like to be that given over. At least I think that's one of the possible meanings that he has there. But Jesus poured himself out. He gave it all away. Are you man enough? I'll appeal to a room full of men. Are you man enough to give it all away? Do you have that kind of grit? Because that's the kind of grit God's looking for to send out to do the war that He wants done. Because He wants to win people back just like we've been won back. He wants to bring His rule and His reign back to the earth. And He's just looking for a few good men. Not to be corny, but Marine Corps over here. What uh, the last thing he says, I'm sorry, is he wants to somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. Scholars differ on what Paul might be talking about here. The best argument I've heard so far is that he's talking about what it's like to get past the internal struggle with sin. In the resurrection of the dead, I don't think we're going to have to deal with the same kind of sins that we deal with now. Wouldn't it be nice? to all of a sudden not have to struggle with sin anymore. Not to have this war going on between wanting to act like that new man that we are in, acting like Christ, and the old habits that are brought on by our hormones and our upbringing and all those struggles with sin. Paul was looking forward to that day of being what he wasn't yet. Do you have your eye on that? Do you think about what it's going to be like one day to not have this internal war with sin? And does it excite you? Paul was motivated by that. What motivates you? Why do you do what you do? Why are you here? I'm glad you're here. But why are you here? At this retreat. At this church. At this time. I hope it's the same things that Paul's talking about. If it's not, I hope that you'll change. Because if you're here for anything less, you won't be here long. And you won't be the kind of guy that I want to go into battle with. You may not be the guy that God uses. And when it's all said and done, don't you want to help His team win? Don't you want to see that happen? Paul was motivated by it. Paul's desire to know Christ gave him the grit to press in press into the kingdom and to take hold of that for which Christ had taken hold of him. You've been taken hold of by Christ for a reason. Have you forgotten that? Or do you doubt it? I'm not saying you're going to be up here next year doing this. You might be. You could be. I kind of hope. Because I think there's people who could do this better than I can do it. 
But He took hold of each one of us for a reason. Are you taking hold of that reason? Are you owning it? Are you letting Him be king or do you somehow hold out hope that you can still be king? God used Paul, He used the other apostles as men of grit. And He advanced His kingdom and it's been handed over into our care. We're the ones now that are in the fight. They're at home. They've got the reward. We're still working for ours. I hope that you'll join with me, that we can lock arms, and as a group of men, we can get real, get excited, get motivated by wanting to know Christ, so much so that we wouldn't procrastinate anymore, that we wouldn't put off repentance, that we wouldn't be petty, but that we would try to take hold of the kingdom. And once we forcefully grab a hold of it, that we start pressing into it. That we're not satisfied with minimums and just getting by. That we can't be satisfied anymore with just showing up. Just being a face in a crowd. Being a regular contributor with money. I mean, that's the least of it. It's important, but it's the least of it, guys. There's so much more that's been offered to you. You've been called by a king and commissioned to be used in the advancement of his kingdom. Will you answer the call? God will use you too. But you have to have the right kind of grit to be the right kind of man who's willing to do the right kind of preaching. I'd like to lead us in a prayer. We'll call it a day. Heavenly Father, we love you. We call you our Lord. We call you our Father. We call you our King. And Father, we want to live like that's true every day. Father, it's hard to remember our purpose. It's hard to be passionate for your, your kingdom. Father, you are advancing your king, your kingdom. You are the king. It is happening all around us. We can either be a part of that and let you use us to your glory, or we can be stubborn and willful and sit on the sidelines. Father, I pray that we'll be men who want to go where the fighting is the fiercest. And it may not be in conflict with another person or another philosophy. It may just be in conflict within our own heads and our own hearts and our own souls. But Father, help us to be men who run towards the trouble and not away from it. Help us to be the kind of men who are passionate about seeing you fully to know you and to be yielded and to used by you. You're a king worthy of all honor, of all praise, and all obedience. Father, help us to be the kind of men who stand ready to give it all away. And it's in your Son's name we pray for that. Amen. Amen.